You're listening to TIP. On today's show, I sit down with John Engel to talk about his thoughts on Tesla, SpaceX, Virgin Galactic, and Elon Musk, and how he analyzes stocks for his portfolio. John is the Chief Investment Officer of Cannabis Capital Group, the President of Almington Capital, and a regular contributor on Seeking Alpha. I mentioned this a few times throughout the episode, but I am not an expert on Tesla or really any of the companies we talk about today. So I really enjoyed this conversation with John. It was not only fascinating, but also very educational for me, as I hope it is for you all as well. So let's jump into my conversation with John Engel. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Hey everyone, welcome to today's show. I'm your host, Robert Leonard, and with me today, I have John Engel. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much for having me. For those listening that may not be familiar with you or your work, walk us through your story and how you got to where you are today. So my background's a little bit idiosyncratic. Born in Illinois, grew up in Hawaii, spent like my early adult life in Ireland and the UK, and then came back to the US to get involved in the investment business. And that led me to where I am now, leading a family office investment group that focuses on several different asset classes, especially venture capital, private equity, real estate, as well as publicly traded assets, so stocks and fixed income. So how would you describe yourself as an investor? Are you value-orientated? Are you a growth investor? Do you weigh heavily on ETFs, dividend-type stocks, or are you just more active in the market? I have a fairly idiosyncratic investing philosophy because I think value investing ultimately is the is the you call it the correct way to invest in the sense that it is focused on actually trying to find companies that are genuinely undervalued that are earning money and that can return capital to investors. But I layer that with an understanding that we live in a world where capital markets are very much focused on the future, the idea of growth stocks and just growth, like economic growth, disruption are all factors that have to be incorporated into an investment thesis and to an investment philosophy. So I think of myself as a value investor who's also a realist about the way the market works, which is fundamentally not value-oriented and hasn't been for the last 20 years or so. Yeah, especially over the last decade through the last bull market, the value investors have kind of gotten crushed specifically you know, related to growth and just the market overall. Traditional value investor, like Benjamin Graham style, looking for cheap companies that are earning. Like those, are, like those have not... It hasn't been a particularly effective investing strategy by comparison to sort of momentum and growth stock strategy over the last decade, which is understandable based on the, a lot of the underlying drivers that have been fueling this bull market since 2008. Everything from monetary policy to the, just the way the market has oriented towards a technology and disruption-focused attitude. Yeah, less focus on book value, more on goodwill, things that are intangible and subjective in nature, qualitative. So, but I mean, there's always times, periods of time, at least in, in history, where different strategies have done well over periods of time. So, never know, value could come back into, into grace. 
You are very active on Seeking Alpha regarding Elon Musk's companies like Tesla, SpaceX, and previously SolarCity. Tesla, which is ticker TSLA, is often considered a polarizing stock, and I haven't had someone on the show to talk about it yet, so I'd like to spend some time covering it. Most people listening probably know who Elon Musk is and what Tesla is, but for those who don't know, who is Elon Musk and what is Tesla? I agree that it is highly polarizing, but uh, <laughs> Elon Musk is an entrepreneur, originally South African, uh, naturalized American citizen who has spent his life in the tech in the tech world and Silicon Valley world, but has tried to move the focus from software to basically heavy industries. So I doubt many people are unfamiliar with Tesla as a company, at least on the surface level, which is basically the, one of the first pure play electric car companies in the world and in America in particular. Its focus is originally luxury, but has been trying to move towards the mid-market similar to other automakers. Basically, he's Elon Musk is the sort of modern day uh, attempt at innovating a like future of sustainable energy is that way he is the way he is he portrays himself and the way he's portrayed in the media. But uh, so yeah, so he has electric cars in the form of, the, of Tesla. He's involved in the space economy through another company that he founded called SpaceX, which focuses on originally focused on sat- satellite launch and sort of rocket payload launching into space on behalf principally of governments and NASA, but is venturing towards sort of manned space flight. He used to be the chairman of another company called Solar City, which had been founded and led by his cousin. But that company was then, due to essentially imminent insolvency, absorbed by Tesla. He's also ventured into a couple other spaces, including is the neuroscience with a company called Neuralink, which claims to be seeking a way to integrate human brains and machines, and a tunneling company called Boring Company. Why would Elon Musk want to acquire a company like SolarCity, who's on the verge of insolvency? That is an excellent question, and one that's actually going to be discussed in the Delaware Court of Chancery, which is the most important court in terms of corporate and securities law in the US. It's where it's why most companies are incorporated in Delaware is because they have a much deeper and more rigorous and larger case law involving corporate law. There are few reasons from an objective standpoint why any company would buy out at a premium another company that is functionally insolvent. So the question is, why would someone do that? Uh, The explanation given by Tesla as a company and by Elon Musk as its CEO and chairman was that SolarCity was a, which is a solar, basically a solar panel installer for people who don't know, would be synergistic in that Tesla was apparently devising a solar roof product, basically a roof solar panel that would essentially not just be a panel attached to the roof, but instead replace the roof as uh, sort of individual solar unit shingles. That was, and the explanation was that Solar City's large footprint for installing these things would be beneficial towards installing these solar roofs. The problem with that, as it emerged, was that the solar roof product didn't actually exist at all and has only just recently entered a phase where they're actually installing it commercially four years after the merger. So the question is, why would someone choose to do that? 
And the answer partly lies in the fact that if all of Musk's companies are sort of interconnected, so you have so SolarCity issued a bunch of bonds in 2015, which Musk's other companies then bought. And so those companies would have lost money on it if SolarCity went under. But more importantly, and this is entering into more opinion, is that if SolarCity, which was attached to the Musk brand, which was attached to his personal brand of like, sort of futurism and sort of advancing technology, if it went under, it would have tainted his reputation in a way that could have compromised his other companies. So it is the opinion, my opinion, the opinion of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit and the opinion of many other observers that the reason wasn't so much economic as face-saving and an attempt to preserve his personal image and the broader empire of companies that he runs. So this might be a simple question, but who is the plaintiff, right? I mean, if, if Elon Musk and I mean, this is a public company, so I'm assuming it's the shareholders, but who is essentially taking this company or Elon Musk to court? Because it's, I mean, I'm assuming the US government isn't just saying, hey, we're going after Elon Musk and Tesla, we're going to persecute them without any type of plaintiff bringing it to, to light. So who, who is the plaintiff in this case? It's a, cla- it's a class action lawsuit. So it's a, it's a class of Tesla shareholders who opposed the merger because Musk essentially has effective control in a corporate law sense of Tesla. He has the ability to basically do whatever he wants. So the minority shareholders, a group of minority shareholders is suing him on the basis that the SolarCity merger was not in fact a merger, but rather a bailout of his cousins and of himself as a significant investor and stockholder in SolarCity. So the actual plaintiffs are, or at least were, when they at the time of the at the time of the merger, shareholders of Tesla. And so, where do you generally tend to fall on the bear or the bull side of Tesla overall? Like fundamentally, very bearish in the sense that even if Tesla succeeds in everything that it that it wants to do, in the sense of uh, moving people towards battery electric vehicles. It is already valued at more than GM and Ford combined, companies that are producing millions of cars a year. Tesla produced, it reached 1 million total cars produced this week. They multiply, as in Ford and GM, each produce multiple times that number of cars profitably every year, whereas Tesla has yet to be profitable in any year. So what is the other side of the coin saying? What is the bull side of Tesla? What do they like about the company? There's a couple aspects. So first and foremost, it's the momentum, I think, of the last of this decade of technological disruption where people imagine a world in which because individual, a single company can take over an aspect of the sort of software stack and become the monopolistic player in that, that that kind of business model can be replicated in other industries. And that's just been fundamentally proven false like time and time again. In the case of automakers, like it's always been a highly competitive business. More importantly, it's extremely capital-intensive business where the margins are difficult. So it's basically a dichotomy between people who understand the auto industry and people who come from a tech background. And the problem is that a lot of the narrative that's created around companies and stocks created by the people who are more media and tech savvy. So you end up with a story that oftentimes diverges meaningfully from 
like the economic realities that are at play. As in like Tesla, like, you know, Tesla opened a factory in China. They're talk, like they're working towards opening one in Germany, but they would need to open six, seven, eight more factories before they're going to be at the sort of production capacity of Ford. You're talking tens of billions of dollars of capital expenditure, which aren't being appreciated. You're talking about a cyclical industry that is the automaker industry that isn't being priced in. This sort of like taste of a bear market that we've been getting over the last few days is the warning sign about companies like Tesla that are radically overvalued based on their economic fundamentals and even the most ambitious sort of forward-looking view. And part of that valuation comes from beyond like just the production of cars. Let's talk like you can talk about their focus on autonomous vehicles, right? That's the sort of the other side of the Tesla coin. And again, with autopilot, you're getting a few different things going on. People talk about Tesla's being able to drive themselves. The National Transportation Safety Board made it abundantly clear in their most recent meeting that not only is the name autopilot extremely misleading, but the way that it operates is probably deleterious to consumers. But I think, and that's like an issue that people are valuing the idea more than the company. And people are imputing the notion that, that Tesla and that Elon Musk are a leader in this technology when, if you look at the actual data, it's not the case. So for an investor who knows a bit about investing in the markets, but just really hasn't spent much time studying or following Tesla specifically, what are the most important things to know about Tesla as a potential investment opportunity? I think the most important things to, to recognize is that like, it is a, is a company and a stock that is untethered from its economics. So whichever side of the trade you end up coming down on, it's important to recognize that it isn't being driven, at least right now, by, like, by those fundamentals. So if you're going to take the long side, you can take the long side. Like We have occasionally um, following just the momentum. But if you're looking at sort of a long-term play, if you're looking at a company that is the second most valuable automaker in the world now, that is an enormous amount of growth that you're going to need to grow into before your valuation, as it stands now, could be justified. What my my principal suggestion to any investor, whether they believe in whether they believe in it, whether they believe in the future of like that the future is battery electric vehicles versus like hybrids or hydrogen fuel cells, like whatever whatever you believe about the auto industry, this is a company that has a lot of hope and a lot of expectation valued into it. And unless you are 100% committed to the idea that this is the company that is going to dominate the auto industry for the next 30 years, then it's not, then its current share price cannot be a buy. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey guys, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I got married and one of the most stressful parts of our relationship has been trying to join our finances together. We all know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce, but Monarch, the top-rated personal finance app, has built-in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Unlike other personal finance apps that we tried, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product and they release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. Most importantly, they never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, 
My wife and I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners on this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash MI. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash MI for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash MI for an extended 30-day free trial. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, Explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? A free flight to a bucket list destination? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, back to the show. Do you think people are getting caught up in the idea of what the technology could potentially be or what autopilot could technically someday evolve into, right? I think some people who aren't necessarily studying the fundamentals or who don't have a background in finance or just accounting in general, they see Tesla's, you know, quote unquote, the leader in these vehicles that someday are going to take you from point A to point B without you ever touching the steering wheel. And then of course, when you think about that, that's just a massive idea that of course could be worth multiples of what it is today. But when you actually bring that to reality into the fundamentals of the business and try and extrapolate from where they are financially today to getting to that point, there's a big disconnect, like you've said. So do you think that's where a lot of the valuation is coming from? Partly. When you look at the autonomous vehicle space, there's a few things that we need to unpack with it. First and foremost is the fact that Tesla is not actually even in the lead technologically on autonomous vehicles. Google and their subsidi- specifically their subsidiary Waymo has significantly more data miles driven. So what you'll hear a lot of the time when people talk about Tesla's advantage with autopilot is that they have you know, billions of mi- they claim billions of miles of driven data when they- that informs their AI, right? Like this is a thing that you th- if you ever watch a CNBC discussion of autopilot and autonomous driving, that's what comes up. The problem with this thinking is that is, is thinking that just a bunch of raw data makes the more data m- makes a better neural net makes a better AI. This is not true. 
Because the issue with creating an autonomous driving system is not just having more data, but being able to flag the issues that arise from it and being able to find patterns. So the raw data that's coming into Tesla is essentially unusable most of the time. Perfect example is that if you own a Tesla, you can't get an over-the-air update of your software package unless you're, unless you're on your Wi-Fi. And for the reason for that is that Tesla won't actually pay to have LTE for everywhere because that would be onerously expensive. So this data that they claim to be collecting isn't even being collected in a way that can be then processed into meaningful results. That's, like, that's point one, is the idea that, that Tesla, because it drives, because there are more driven miles, that that has an advantage. There is no inherent advantage. And in fact, there's a demonstrable lack of advantage. Moreover, their whole argument for autonomy basically ignores most of the technologies that are almost certainly going to be essential towards autonomy. So Tesla's autopilot is based purely on cameras. So it has cameras across the car that are able to pick up images. And that recognition is what, over time, they hope will be able to create a genuinely autonomous vehicle. No other company, zero other companies, even ones that are pure play autonomous driving, have accepted that as correct. Like Elon Musk is, per- is the only person who has said that cameras alone are the technologies that can facilitate autonomous driving. Everyone else is operating under the, not just the assumption, but the, like the rational conclusion that you require other inputs, including, for example, LiDAR, laser-based viewing. Because these are like the overlapping elements of the technology or the ability to uh, see the world in multiple different ways is critical to a safe autonomous driving program. I think that's one of the issues, is that with Tesla, it essentially optimizes for the short term. It doesn't think when it operates about in a way that's about long-term sustainability. It's about creating a short-term appearance of innovation that they end up paying for later. As you talked about that, you mentioned that Waymo actually has more miles than Tesla. And as someone who's heavily invested in the stock market, but doesn't necessarily follow this space so much, one of the questions that popped in my mind was, how does Waymo have more miles than Tesla with Tesla having so many cars on the road already, when as far as I know, Waymo doesn't have any? Well, Waymo has like lots of test cars on the road. Let's take a step back. So Tesla has more, obviously Tesla cars on autopilot have more physical miles. The question is, how usable are those miles? Are those miles being driven and the data being compiled in a way and tagged in a way that can be used for then creating better programs, right? So it's a question of, is the data being collected in a way and then analyzed and tagged in a way that lets you improve the system? With Tesla, you have an enormous number of miles being driven, but because that data isn't being transmitted to Tesla in a usable way, it's essentially useless most of the time. Like that's, the, that's the problem, the conflation of, of physical number of miles with usable, integratable miles from an from a AI standpoint. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So it's not that Tesla's cars have driven or quote-unquote recorded less miles than Waymo. It's that a lot of those miles just aren't useful in terms of improving data or integrating with their AI or any other type technologies that they have. Whereas with Waymo, everything is being tracked because they're all test vehicles. So nearly every mile that they drive or test is useful data. Exactly. They're using a much deeper and broader sensor suite. They're pulling in significantly more data per mile driven. So that makes sense. How do you see the, I guess, competition between Waymo and Tesla playing out over the next five years? 
So the autonomous vehicle space is going to be very weird, I think, because you've got so many companies investing so much money into the space. It's difficult to know who's going to win. Like the only thing we can be certain of is that Tesla's investing an order of magnitude less into autonomous vehicles than several other companies are. And in this particular field where it's going to be an enormous amount of data analysis, it's going to be the companies that invest a lot that will end up succeeding. So in the competition between Waymo and Tesla, I don't think Tesla stands much of a chance. I don't think Tesla stands much of a chance against even the likes of uh, General Motors and their cruise program, which as an interesting point is like, you know, SoftBank, you know, the company that they make some weird bets, but they bet very much on the future. They bet on Cruise over Tesla. And, and part of the reason for that is because Cruise, Waymo, Uber, Lyft, Aurora, every single other AV focused company is using specifically like using different sensor suites, but especially LIDAR, like the laser guided like vision. And the reason and the reason for that is because you need you're going to need multiple sensors to be able to do this. Not only from just like a physically potential point of view, but also probably from a compliance and legal point of view. It's very unlikely that governments are going once autonomy is actually cracked, it's almost certain that they're going to require multiple sensor suites to function on that. So but the reason like so the reasoning Tesla claims and like Elon's claimed that it's unnecessary. But there like emails have leaked, discussions like have leaked from their previous autonomous partners that shows that the reason why that they've said that is because those other sensor suites are expensive. They basically couldn't afford to have LiDAR. They can't afford to have LiDAR in all their cars and also looks bad. So they decided to ignore it and pretend that they don't even need it. It's sort of, it's the bizarre, it's like that, it's, it's incredibly, it's, it's bizarre to anyone who like, who hasn't like read deeply into it. Like, why would a company do that? And the reasoning is, as I said, like it's sort of a short-term optimization. It's like this bizarre attitude towards the way that happens. Like it's like, like almost every aspect of like the Tesla business model functions in that way. It's like high performance, highly fragile, not very effective long-term and require significant replacements. That's sort of like almost all their products are like that. Do you see there being a good chance that a company not named Waymo or Tesla actually win this space? I don't know. So it depends on what, what we mean by autonomous vehicles. So this is taking another sort of like abstract of abstraction is that they is that AI experts and like AV experts have basically subdivided basically five levels of autonomy. And level five is where a car can do everything better than a person in any environment. And Tesla and Elon Musk publicly has claimed that that would happen a few months ago. Whereas almost any credible expert will tell you that it is somewhere between 10 and 20 years from now that we will achieve that. So I think that there are aspects to which Tesla's story has sort of mutated into like the way people perceive autonomy and expect it much sooner than it's going to come because it's, it is incredibly complicated. So what's going to happen first is a lot more sort of geofenced, you know, set courses that autonomous vehicles are going to follow. You're going to have them on their own dedicated lanes for years. And then maybe a decade from now. I'm a fairly optimistic person. So I'd say like, I, I, I like to say a decade. Pessimists say 20 years. You know, the extreme pessimists say that we may never crack level five autonomy. But I think within a decade, especially given just like the egregious amount of money being spent on being spent on the technology that it will be achieved. But when that happens, like it's unclear what the economic benefits will even be to the person who like to the, or the company that does it. 
what is the business model that you're going to use once you have autonomy? Will it be applicable across all vehicles? What will that mean to transportation? And those are questions that are unclear and yet to be answered, especially in light of issues like a ride sharing that have increased congestion rather than decreased it in cities. So you're going to have like a lot of like really interesting, you know, like sort of civic discussions about sort of how do we optimize infrastructure? Is it even worth it in certain cases? So, you know, we're talking about the future in a very sort of abstract way. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, I've mentioned this a couple of times throughout the show, and which is one of the reasons why I'm so excited for this conversation is I don't study this space at all. I'm a complete beginner. So I'm here learning with the audience completely from scratch. And one of the things for me that just seems really out there for this whole autonomous vehicle concept is not even so much the vehicles. You know, I, I have a feeling that people in technology, they'll be able to come up with some way that these vehicles are able to do what they claim they can do. But the bigger concept is actually implementing them in the world, right? I mean, you have thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of regular cars out there. How are they going to interact with one another? How are you going to phase out all those cars when obviously not everybody can afford an autonomous vehicle. So, I mean, we're talking probably decades until everybody's on an autonomous vehicle. So, what does that look like until we get there? I just think there's a long road ahead, not even just from a technological perspective and not even considering all the uh, financial resources that Tesla would need to make all of this happen. It's, it's a really big mountain to climb. Is looking at a completely different world. And it's the question of like, if we have autonomous vehicles exist, why would cars look the way that they do? I recommend GM actually just recently had an event where they unveiled what their autonomous sort of pod is going to look like. And it doesn't look like it doesn't look anything like a normal car. It almost looks it looks vaguely like a streetcar. And it's because like why would you have sedans carrying people around as autonomous vehicles as opposed to a larger conveyance? So like these are all questions that are going to become big issues over the next several years. Like it could radically alter the way public and private transit works. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, vehicles are the way they are now, both for style, but also for functionality. But if we get to a point where they're fully autonomous, does it really matter? I mean, couldn't you put everybody in a box or something of that nature that you know can carry all kinds of things that people need and a lot of people or you know whatever that may be? It doesn't have to be in the same style that it is now. So maybe it won't even look like a car. Maybe it'll look more like a train or something along those lines. So it's it's a really interesting dynamic. And this whole conversation really makes me think of of the Jetsons or you know, flying vehicles and things of that nature, more futuristic type stuff. I think the Jetsons and flying cars are a great example. The technology, like the engineering capability exists, but the really hard part of a, any issue, when you're, especially when you're talking about mass transit or anything that affects everybody, is how you do it in a way that is not just like cost-effective, but efficient and reliable. Like reliability is so important in all transportation. And that is frequently underappreciated when we talk about sort of the technology side. Like the, it has to be more reliable than what we have now for it to be something that people will want. Reliable and safe, right? And I mean, it's so much bigger than just the company and the engineering technology that's behind Tesla. It's like we've been talking about for the last few minutes. It's all the infrastructure that goes around it. I think that's even the bigger issue that I have with Tesla and the overall just concept of autonomous vehicles. Now, we've seen Tesla fetch some arguably questionable valuations and price increases over the late. But when you look at company that you've mentioned a couple of times, GM, they have, like you said, the cruise program that's doing well in terms of the same type of Tesla technology. Yet 
when you look at their stock chart, they're actually down over the last five years. They're arguably trading at a much more favorable valuation than Tesla. I mean, they're trading at under six times earnings, under a $40 billion market cap. Why are so many people overlooking GM if they have such a valuable or potentially valuable autonomous technology in their business? Because they're valuing GM like an automaker. Like all other car companies are valued like car companies. Tesla's the only car company that's valued not like a car company. So Tesla's being valued like a tech company, whereas all the other automakers, even though they have autonomous technology, are being valued like historical terms of just car manufacturers. Exactly. There's a disconnect between what Tesla is and what Tesla is perceived to be. And it is fundamentally an automaker. That's what it is. It has sort of, it, it, it dabbles in solar unprofitably. It has an autonomous vehicle program that will take many, many years for it like, to yield benefits, which they've already charged for, even if their particular technology suite works, which given its limitations, quite possibly not the case. But people, because they don't know a lot of like these interlocking bits that are required, it's basically a lot of different special knowledge areas that they operate in. And if you don't have one, have like have at least a grasp of lots of them, you can easily sort of buy into a story, especially when it's a pleasant one. It's, it's easy to buy into this idea that this is the future. So yeah, it is, it's valued essentially as a tech company. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Do you guys ever feel overwhelmed with all that's going on in the markets and feel like you just can't keep up with the day-to-day news headlines? Today's show sponsor, Yahoo Finance, is my go-to solution to keeping up with today's top news and stay informed with what is happening globally. With Yahoo Finance, I'm able to see the biggest trends and biggest movers in the stock market, what is happening with interest rates, major geopolitical events, and much more. If it wasn't for Yahoo Finance, I would have no idea that Tesla is laying off 10% of their staff or why iPhone shipments are down 9% year over year. Yahoo Finance also has a number of other cool features, including a tool that lets you link in all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Yahoo Finance is one of my favorite tools I use in my investing toolkit, and it's what I use each morning to kick off my day and stay in the loop with what's happening in the markets. Join more than 90 million monthly users today and get comprehensive financial news and analysis at yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access, a free flight to a bucket list destination. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, 
Smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything seems to be more expensive these days. I've noticed this at my own businesses that I've run. You'd be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash mi. netsuite.com slash mi. That's netsuite.com slash mi. All right, back to the show. So I'm really curious to get your opinion on this next question, because as someone who doesn't necessarily follow the space super closely, I sometimes struggle as to how to answer this. And so a lot of times people that I know, friends, family, colleagues even, that know a little bit about investing, but they're not necessarily experts per se, and they just kind of hear the headlines, they always ask me, you know, what should I invest in? Should I invest in Tesla? Things like that. And for example, my brother, he's an engineer, so he's, you know, he's into the technology and he's younger than me. And he doesn't necessarily have the understanding of, of finance or investing, but he, he asked me maybe last year, should I invest in Tesla? And I said, I personally would not. I said, you could if you know if, if you think that the company's going to do well. And of course, recently, he sent me a text and said, oh, see, I told you I should have invested in Tesla. How do you handle situations where you have not necessarily people you know, questioning whether you your answer as to whether they should invest in something or not, but how do you answer to people of, should I invest in this company and in specifically companies like Tesla? I'll tell people whether... like It's like if someone asks, like, oh, it's a company X thing that I should invest in. And I'll like I'll usually say like what my position is like oh like no like I'm like I'm not in nor would I touch that company I'm short that company and then I'd say like but it depends on what it is it's hard to say like Tesla is a particularly challenging one in that no matter what you think about the fundamentals or the business like sort of long term let's say five ten years from now there's no doubt that the stock price is acting in a way that is almost no connection to that. Like the stock jumped 10% today, despite the fact that coronavirus is shut down. Like it's shutting down our economy. It shut down the Chinese economy for, for over a month. Like these are things that, that we know happened, but have had essentially zero impact this particular stock. And it's like when you're dealing with, with anytime you're dealing with companies, like my recommendation is that like, how is the stock like is, is not so much whether to buy, first of all, but Firstly, to ask yourself, how is the stock behaving and what is driving the price? So is it being driven by the fact that was there an earning surprise to the positive? Is that why the stock is up? Or is it because there's been some narrative that's changed? And those are sort of things you have to unpack for yourself sometimes. But individual stocks are driven by different factors, like beyond sort of the fear and greed that the way people usually think about it in a very simplistic way. There are companies that are industries that are understood, that have been around for a long time, and that are valued in a certain way at certain times, like automakers, like industrial. Like People know how those companies behave in different economic conditions. You can understand the company, even if you disagree with a particular valuation at a particular time, you kind of get why it's valued a certain way. Then there are companies that are valued in ways that are unfathomable. What is it that makes people think that Tesla is worth 
more than GM and Ford combined. Like clearly there's an element where it's technology. There's clearly a hype element. There's a FOMO element. There's lots of other things, but it's a very complex stock that is driven by a lot of emotions and psychological factors that are difficult to compartmentalize. So there are different kinds of stocks perceived in different ways. And I think if you're asked, if someone asks like, what about this stock? You kind of have to first think about, is it a normal stock or is it one of these weird ones? And if it's a weird one, you have to warn them that, you know, fundamentals don't matter. Like it's sort of a question of, do you think that the story can go forward from here? for a while, or permanently. You wrote an article titled, Tesla is structurally bankrupt. Talk to us a bit about that. So Tesla has managed a few quarters of profitability lately, but that has been due to a few factors, some being selling of like basic carbon credits, which are different across different regimes. Like California has been very big about them. The US has been pretty big on them. So selling credit has been basically the principal source of Tesla's profitability, but it is a source that is dwindling over time. Firstly, because the subsidies that are that grew to people who buy Tesla's essentially expired now in the US. They are expiring in other countries. But the most important aspect that is frequently overlooked is that the reason I call them structurally unprofitable is that the only reason they were able to report profits at all was because they were able to report that their costs were lower than they should be. And by lower than they should be. By that, I mean that their suppliers basically gave them sweetheart deals over the last couple of years. They basically agreed to reduce the price that, that would normally have to be paid for various inputs, everything from seats to batteries, like their deal with Panasonic, for example, to provide them with batteries. Like these are arrangements that, that are devised to reduce costs in the short term, but that obligate Tesla to pay significantly more over the long term. The question is, will Tesla ever hit the sort of volume production and demand necessary to meet the requirements that they've agreed to like, at that point? They basically need to produce, within five years, they need to produce, they basically need to pentuple their production in order to meet their purchasing obligations with Panasonic alone. So the reason I call them structurally unprofitable is that barring, it basically will require other companies to once again cut them a deal in order for them to meet the obligations they already have. So with everything you just mentioned, as well as everything we've talked about so far, do you short Tesla stock or do you think that's a bad position to take? I think going naked shorting Tesla is, it's gambling. I know people who do sort of shorter term options trading. Also, it's gambling. We have a sort of long term, couple years out put option trade, which we expanded when the run up happened. Principally because two years from now, there's very little probability, in in my opinion, that Tesla can be anywhere near where it is right now. Because it's basically, as I said, optimized for the short term in such a way that 24 months from now, purchasing obligations will be coming in. The underinvestment in service infrastructure, support staff, all these things that they basically cut to the bone. Here's the thing about Tesla. Do you know of a growth company that spends negative capex? Nope. Tesla is. Over the last three quarters, Tesla has spent less on capex than depreciations, which amounts to negative capex, basically by not investing in, in the infrastructure they need to do. So they're not growing the way they claim to be. I was going to say, that doesn't sound like the characteristics of a company that is going to scale and conquer the world. 
there's a lot of things about Tesla that, that doesn't equate with what you would normally expect from a growth company, which is the things that originally caught my attention about it. It's such a weird company. It's almost mind-boggling the way, the way that it operates. But it is important to realize like in the world of public markets is that perception often defines reality, at least for a while, and sometimes for a lot longer than you think it will. So I, my warning to anyone who takes my opinion to heart is that shorting Tesla is, has been an expensive and dangerous proposition for many people for years. And it is unclear when things will happen. I think if and when a recession actually happens, that's basically when the rubber hits the road with a company like Tesla, which has been reliant on external capital and has never experienced in its current form as like a mass automaker, what it means to have a cyclical downturn. Like Automakers all went broke last time there was a, a recession. Most of them are better capitalized now after having gone through bankruptcy. But being a company with almost essentially no cash and a big cash burn, lots of obligations, that's a really bad place to be as the economy gets dicier. And it's also GM and Ford going into bankruptcy is very different than Tesla, I think. And their bailouts or their bankruptcy court proceedings, whatever that might look like, I think would look very different than those two companies may have in the past. This is sort of like putting on the PE, the corporate finance hat, where it's like, like what happens if Tesla was like on the verge or in danger of insolvency? In 2008, 2009, like when you saw like the auto bailout, when the auto bailout happened, you had millions of people whose livelihood was going to be affected. With Tesla, it is trying to grow in a way that it will have those sort of employees, but it doesn't have anything like the number of active and former employees that would be absolutely destroyed by it. And the main issue when GM was bailed out was the main impetus, rather, for the bailout was that you were dealing with so many people who were retirees on pensions from the company who would have been annihilated by the company going under. The question was, how, did you, how do you save them? So yeah, I think it is, it's one of those things where Tesla is not yet too big to fail, which puts it in a precarious position. Yeah, that's exactly the verbiage that I was thinking is too big to fail, right? Exactly what you just said was exactly what was running through my mind. Now, you mentioned naked shorting Tesla can be a very risky and even a gamble. For those who aren't sure what a naked short is, what exactly does that mean? And then why is it such a speculative or just risky investment you could make? Well, the naked short is, is basically just taking it, like borrowing a, a stock and basically being a direct bet against the share price. That's the purest way to short a stock. The other ways to do it are to take basically buy put options where uh, you're basically betting on the price going down in future and you're paying a premium, basically have an amount of time in which that can happen. Being direct, naked short or like unhedged short, any short position really Although, to be honest, a long position too. It's like extremely risky in anything that's as volatile as Tesla stock, where it's dropped to 180 a few months ago and was hit 900 is now at 600. Like, what, like, I don't know. Like, where's the price? Like, how do you do that? Like, you know, options prices are reflected in that. It's quite an expensive company to short or to go long now on options. If you're very, very confident for whatever reason in the company succeeding, owning the stock's probably the only way to go. I would definitely not be buying call options right now. If I was going short, if you're going to go short, I'd go for very out of the money, like a suit, like basically betting on a very significant correction a couple of years from now. Because anything else, just like the cost of 
the cost of making that, taking that position is just too high. So we've spent a lot of time talking about Tesla. I want to transition and talk about another company that might be somewhat similar. I kind of see it similar, maybe not as much, but pretty similar to Tesla. And that company is Virgin Galactic. It's been in the headlines a lot lately, and it's billionaire Richard Branson's company, ticker symbol SPCE. And I know you've covered this in the past. What is Virgin Galactic and why has there been so much interest in the company in the markets as of late? So Virgin Galactic has actually been around for quite a while like as a company, but they only just went public. They're a space tourism company. So they basically designed over several years a space plane. So that's a space vehicle that enters essentially very low Earth orbit or rather sort of touches the edge of orbit, then comes back down. So it's not like a rocket into orbit. It's rather more similar to like a space shuttle. So the company is a tourism company. The idea is they're going to sell tickets to rich people to go and take short rides into basically like the edge of space. And that's their business. They're valued at this egregious amount because the space economy is big right now. So Virgin Galactic recently went public. Stock price has gone through the roof. And the reasoning behind that is basically that maybe there's more rich people who will want to like buy tickets, but also the sort of long-term sort of speculative play is that this company, because they built these space planes, will be able to turn them into commercial transit planes. So basically, instead of taking an airline from New York to London, you would shoot up into orbit and then drop back down and basically reduce a six-hour flight to like an hour and a half. And that's sort of where the valuation is coming from, the idea that they might revolutionize the way people travel long distance. That's the idea. Why do you think Virgin Galactic is far too risky to buy right now? Well, I think it's phenomenally overvalued in that people are... You're talking about a couple hundred thousand dollars per ticket. Like, There's not that many people who are going to do that. Like, There's a lot. I don't doubt they're going to have like, a pretty great business for a while. But is it worth many billions of dollars in valuation given the cost of maintenance, launch, building these space planes, and maintaining them? That's highly questionable. But the big issue is that the, set, the, the one time one of these things blows up, which happens in spaceflight, that's it for the stock. The space planes are pretty good. Like, as in, like, Virgin Galactic has actually done some remarkable work with like reusable space plane technology. They, their ships are, are decent. But if you look at things like the space shuttle, two of them blew up one in launch, one in re entry. It doesn't take much at those velocities and with that sort of at the edge of space, like anything going wrong. It doesn't take much to, like, to, to just destroy a vessel. So if you're talking about a passenger flight that burns up, it might not happen, but the probability that it that it does, the risk is there. And so like taking a speculative position in the stock now before they've launched even a single commercial flight is very, very risky. As we talk about Virgin Galactic being potentially overvalued, how do you even go about valuing a company like this? There's a couple of different ways of doing it. So like there's the what is their business now, which is basically space tours. So the question is how many people are there in the world who can drop quarter million dollars or $150,000, let's say, like if they like get their costs down for a short jaunt into space? Not only, and then like how many are there and then how many are willing to actually do it? Firstly, from like being like, that's a waste of money. And then also people like, that seems kind of dangerous. Like, how do you size that market? And the answer is not easily, but like no matter how you do it, if you took like every single person who was a multimillionaire in the world, 
and assumed they were going to do it. Even then, you're probably like the valuation still isn't 100%. Like it's like due to things like cost management, like the capital expenditure and maintenance of these planes, presumably having to build enough to actually carry that many people. Like these are all like factors that are unclear, but are can really impact it. I'd say that even the best case scenario under its current business model, you couldn't justify the valuation. So the valuation is more built on like they're going to be turning this into something much bigger. And if you look at Morgan Stanley actually published like when Virtual Lack went first went public, their analysts published a note basically that was to the effect of their space lane business is great, but what really matters is how this is going to revolutionize basically commercial travel. And I think those are the sort of narratives that are going to be sort of anchoring the stock a little bit, but none of that is proven. And there's no reason why you would believe that a company that has built one space plane model is going to be able to revolutionize what every aerospace company has been trying to do for decades. John, I've learned a ton from our conversation. I really enjoyed our conversation about Tesla. Like I said throughout the episode, I'm not an expert in Tesla by any means or any of these types of companies. So I'm here learning alongside the audience and I really enjoyed the conversation. I know I learned a lot, so I'm sure the audience will as well. For those that are listening and want to learn more about you, have more questions about your investing strategy or just various different stocks that we've talked about, where can they go to connect with you? They can find me on Twitter at AlmingtonCap or email me at john at almington.com or find me on Seeking Alpha. I publish my articles under John Engel and on gurufocus.com also under my own name. Awesome. I'll be sure to put links to those resources in the show notes so that everybody listening to the show today can go and connect with you there. I'll also put books related to the different topics that we talked about, some articles related to it so that you guys can go read up more on these different topics if you're interested in it. John, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, that's all I had for this week's episode of Millennial Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.